there, and welcome to the Punched and Played podcast. We're the sometimes funny, sometimes analytical podcast all about board games and the unique experiences they create. I'm one of your hosts, Sean Rose, and I'm joined by Jonathan Baker. Hello, everyone. And Clint Broadbent. Hey, y'all. How are you guys doing tonight? Fantastic. Wonderful. You're more than fantastic, Clint, because you're done with finals. I am done with finals. I always wonder how I'm going to pass. Like, I know I'm going to pass, but I just... I was in a dark, dark place yesterday. I am feeling much better today. But you know, that moment when you turn in that last thing, the paper, an exam, doesn't matter how badly you feel about it. Now it's off your plate. You're just like, ah, I can breathe again. Time to play all the board games I've been missing this whole semester. <laughs> <laughs> so we have been able to get together and play some games. So what games have you guys been playing recently? I have to go first because I was lucky enough. I had put my the game of BGG Con on pre-order and I had been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and I finally found out that my pre-order was never coming and so I was that's that's so sad I was heartbroken and you know what I did I went right out and bought it (laughs) some cool stuff (laughs) and had it shipped here and I and I leaned and I went to my friends to help me get to the free shipping And thank heavens for blessed Lord of the Rings card game. (laughs) Yeah. The boys are like, oh, whoa, an excuse to spend money on Lord of the Rings? I was just trying to help you out. That's all. (laughs) That's exactly right. (laughs) Out of the kindness of our hearts. These these saints here took took me in. And so I was able to get the gallerist and open it up. And oh, my goodness. It was beautiful. It's like opening a new package of Neapolitan ice cream. It was. It's so delicious. It was. <laughs> it, look, it looks like Neapolitan ice cream with a little big, yeah, whatever. And yes, it was it funny is. because I opened it up and Eagle Griffin Games, I told you this uh, when I saw it, they know how to make a beautiful board game. Oh, absolutely. Just swanky. And I open up the game. Swanky? Swanky. All right. Swanky. Is it like swanky? Yeah, it's like swanky. It's, it's nice. Wasn't, wasn't that the whole thing with Olivia? The swank, sh- oh, whatever. Oh yeah, swanky. Yeah, it was a swanky house. Yep. Okay, never mind. Go back to your story. <laughs> <laughs> I got this game, and they know how to make a really cool game. I'm not gonna say swanky anymore. Okay. All right. <laughs> so, anyways, I opened it up, and it was so funny because everything, like, they had their own little plastic insert, and everything was just beautiful. And I smell the box, and I open the box, and the box ha- smells like ice cream. It smells like paint thinner. <laughs> it, does. it did. It you did. remember? Because you came in, and it was just—it smelled like paint thinner. And I'm, and I was just like, "Oh no!" I've I've seen this happen. I used to work with products at Kona China. I'm like, "Oh, I wonder if this is like a thing." And then all of a sudden, I'm starting to think to myself, maybe. It's thematic. Dun, dun, dun. It was. And so I totally embraced it and just totally enjoyed it and just punched it out and I had to play it. And again, I had to lean on my on my closest friends and I had to invite Sean over. I invited Sean and Jonathan, but only Sean could make it. Yeah, notice, notice that. Closest friend who bailed. Yes. <laughs> and my closest board game buddies. And they came and Sean came over and we enjoyed a fantastic afternoon of uh, the gallerist. It, it took a little time. <laughs> it did. It did. And and Sean was super th- super awesome because my wife was out of town. Uh, my wife was out of town. I had one of the girls with me, 
And of course, like by the time we even got halfway through the instructions, she woke up and I had to be dad for a while. And Sean was nothing but patient. He was, um, he was a saint in that case, but you know, we, uh, we got, got to play in the game. I've already kind of talked about the gallerist, but just overall, Sean, I, I guess all me talking about it. Did you enjoy the game? Oh, absolutely. Um, I can't fully articulate kind of what it was, but I mean, the whole experience, it definitely ties in very well thematically. There's a lot of interesting choice. It's very simple. You only got those four different locations, but it's, there's a lot to think about. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot deeper than you really realize it is. Uh-huh. The, I, I feel like the actions are simple. The ramifications are deep and you're right. There's four, four places, but you could do a bunch of different things with them. I mean, we played a two-player. It's the first time I've ever played a two-player game. But overall, I think that it was a, it was a great experience. I, I definitely want to try it again with two players. I butchered a rule or two here or there. I'm sorry. The rule book was huge. Um, <laughs> the rule book was huge. But I think all in all, though, even though we, we did that, I think we had a great thing. And I thought you, you grokked it really, really quickly. I think that you were kind of off and running. Um, after about two turns, you were... I struggled the beginning. Um, there were a couple little things about the, you know, finding those new, discovering those new artists and things along those lines that took me took me a little time to get my head up around. But again, once I started seeing the everything in motion, it really came together. Yeah, I really, I really enjoyed it. It's it's probably at the top of my collection right now. I don't know, I don't know where it lay where it is in the thing. I had to play it a couple more times. Yeah, but that's probably my top number one game. I want to get to the table when we get this the three of us together again. Yeah, how do you feel like it compared to player to the other times you've played? I, I would have to say that I like it with more players. Sure. I, li- I think that it's a good... I think there was like some good back and forth there between you and me. We had one thing that kind of robbed the tension. You know, we kind of knew some of the majorities like within the first half of the game. Sure. And that kind of took a little of the drama out. Um, well, we kind of messed that part up too. Yeah, we we did, we did, but I don't think it really aff- it affected a little bit of the tension, but it didn't break the game. No, you know, no. Uh, we just would have had some more stuff. I felt like we kind of explored that part of the board, mm-hmm. um, and it ended that we explored that part of the board for that half, and then it kind of lost a little of its luster on that side of the board. And I kind of I kind of felt that in a four player game, there there's a there's a sweet tension. And you you just can't you can't step away from the table because everybody's moving, kicking people out. It definitely it definitely kind of it moves it moves very well. It's very it's pretty it's very smooth with more players. Yeah, I really want to play it with three. I think the game plays very well with four. I like it currently like it best with four, but I think three might be a sweet spot for it. Yeah, so highly recommended. The game is just gorgeous. Yeah. But uh, how long did it take us to, to play? We played for probably two and a half. I'd say two and a half. That sounds about right. And with the caveat, I would say that it would never take us that long again. Yeah, um, that's true. Because I, I did have to step away a lot for dad time. We, we did have a lot of distractions. Yeah, we did have a lot of distractions. But again, like I said, I just want to give just I want to give Sean some dap that he was a saint about it and uh, very patient with that. But I think overall we had a great game. And the funny thing is, is that I, I still haven't won this game, but I, I beat I, Clint. Sean, I Sean, beat Clint. Sean, Sean, Sean you, soundly you beat are me. a saint. 
Sean Stanley beat me, but it was the thing is I don't know what it is, but it is one of those special games that I I just love just doing it. Just mm-hmm. just just let's just play this game. I just want to see what happens, and that doesn't always happen uh, with some games. Some games I feel like it's kind of deterministic. That game is is it is. is really thing it's super expensive but i think it's going to be the jewel of most of your collections yeah it's 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 a beautiful game i absolutely love it i'm hesitant to actually pull the trigger and get this because i mean i love art i love the idea of having your own art gallery i just i question if i'm going to be able to get out of the table with two players and if it's going to really going to be shine as much playing it with just my wife for example because i know that i'll if i'm going to play it with more players it'll be with you three yeah with the three of us so well, I, that's that's definitely on high, high, high on my list to play again. So I'll definitely bring that out, and we'll get a couple more plays in the, on in the table. That is my resolution for the summer, and it's my goal to play this before next BGG Con. Are you going to BGG Con? I think I am actually. Yes, <laughs> I hope you are. Get somewhere sharing a room again. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Jonathan. What have you been playing recently? Well, one thing that we played recently, we were able to uh, pry Clint away from his last-minute studies, and we pulled him into a game of Rococo, which I really enjoyed. Had a good time. This is one that I always love playing, um, you know, strictly a Euro, but I do love some of the interesting things it does where you have your starting deck. You all have your starting deck of employees that you use. You've got different kinds of employees. You had to decide how, you know, some of them can't do certain things. Apprentices can't do everything. Journeymen can't do everything. You've got to decide, do I want to upgrade my employees? Do I want to get rid of some employees? You've got a decent amount of of choice on who you want to use, but whoever's left over at the end of the round that you haven't used, you're going to have to use them in the next round. So you got to keep that in the back of your mind. You kind of always got to be planning like a turn ahead, you know, because you can really lock yourself in a situation where, oh, no, I don't have people who can do anything. So, But it's just a game that I think is beautiful. I enjoy playing it. I just I love the art. I love, you know, the decisions you've got to make, you know, how to collect your resources, you know, what kind of strategy you want to go into. Do you want to go into making a lot of dresses for money? Do you want to make a lot of uh, you know, decorations? Do you want to try to gain control of certain halls? Do you want to try to diversify and get into every hall first so you can get that bonus for having uh, a dress on display in all five halls? So here's the thing. I got to play this with Jonathan, and I could just see it was magical because you don't typically see Jonathan excited in a game. But he was literally bouncing, waiting for his turn. And I, I loved seeing that because you, you don't see that with Jonathan a lot. This, the thing I want to say about Rococo, two things. Number one, if it had been about almost anything else, I don't think it would have been as cool. I think it's so it's so perfect. You're making dresses for the ball. You're putting out decorations to give yourself fame. And for some weird reason, thematically, there are a couple mechanisms that, that integrate perfectly with the theme that really make the game pop. I really liked it. The second thing that, that jumped out to me was I feel like this is the perfect game that illustrates the point we don't know what we like because the first thing I noticed in this game was that the, the biggest part of the game in terms of victory points is area control. And the number one thing that I always hear from Jonathan, when I want to get out a game like Ginkopolis or some of these other area control games, 
jo- Jonathan's like, oh, I hate area control. So wait, 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 wait. Is this area control or is this area majorities? We'll talk about that in a little bit. <laughs> yes, we will. So, I mean, but this area control, area majority, I it was very funny that I would always I would say, and Jonathan has spoken very highly. This is this is one of his top favorite games. That I think if you would have if I said, hey, this is an area majority game um, about making dresses. I think Jonathan typically I would say, oh, I don't like area majority. Should always give it a try because you never know if it's going to be that game that that switches the script for you. Sure, absolutely. And sadly, I didn't get to. I got the. I, I bailed on you guys for this one. So. Hey, you were you were doing the good work. Crunching out the dissertation. That's right. So, uh, the, what I've played recently, I'm actually changing what I was going to talk about because we before this we got to play Pillars of the Earth, mm-hmm. and this is one that I I have a sweet spot for this game, and I can't quite figure out why it is, but I think at the time that I got the game, maybe I was in a bit of a lull. I've been playing a little bit more of the heavier games for some reason. I, I, I can't even tell you what they were, but for some reason this game just sat well with me. We played it a ton, just my, my wife and I. And I end up getting the expansion for it. I think the expansion with two players, you probably don't want to really do the full board extension for the expansion. It makes it way too open, too loosey-goosey to really make have that tension in the game. Mm-hmm. But I like the added cards, add some variability if you have the expansion. But I, this is a really nice worker placement game. I, one of the unique things is that you'll actually have your workers that you send out to the fields to collect the resources that you want to get. So you can get wood, sand, and or gravel. Or you can send them off to the mill to get some money. But you also have these other workers, which are your master builders, that you'll pull out of a bag. And there's this really interesting little track where the first one you pull out of the bag is going to cost you seven coins if you want to play that one. Then it goes down to six, all the way down to zero. So you got to kind of figure out, do I want to pay that money to be able to put my master builder on the board early and get that spot I really want? Or am I willing to say, I'm going to pass and I'm just going to wait for it to get back around to me and then put it on the board for free? So I like that tension. I think it really kind of creates a nice little dynamic within the game. I have I have personally not read the books that, that this is based upon. There was a mini series I think, which I started watching and I never finished it. <laughs> but even beyond that, I think it's a it's a really solid worker placement game you Jonathan you feel like I felt like it was in terms of worker placement games I felt like it was it's not a light game but I felt like it was on the lighter side of some worker placement games what did you think I, f- I felt it was pretty medium I mean I would agree yeah I didn't think it was too bur- too heavy um, I mean once you see the board you see what all you're doing you see how you can convert resources into points which is what this game is all well, about. It's cube pushing, it's you know? A, like, it's, it's a classic cube pusher. But that's why I'm wanting Caravan to come out so badly, because that is just pure cube pushing, and I love it! Yeah, <laughs> cube pushing streamlined to the oh, max. Oh my god, that game needs to come out. Now, please. Z-Man Games, please put that game out. I want it. I'll buy both versions. Please. Keep going. Thank you, you can buy my version. <laughs> I don't know what else to say about it, I, I, other than the fact I love that art. Oh, he's a... Michael Menzel is just a fa- fabulous artist. Yeah. I think that's one of the things I love so much about Legends of Andor and a lot of other games that he has done the art for. Just their works of art in and of, in and of themselves. 
I haven't played Legends of Andor, and after looking at the artwork of Pillars, of, after looking at the artwork of Pillars of the Earth, I want to play Andor just to look at the art. It is, it is realistic. Come for the art, maybe I'll sell you on the gameplay. Yeah, that <laughs> might be. Does that, that work be. for you, Sean? Just to come, hey, if someone will play Legends of Andor with me, I'll take them up on oh, it. Oh no, no, I mean, looking at the art, would that get you to play another Michael Menzel art game? No. No. All right. What? Bruges. Really? I did not know that. Yeah, he did all the character cards. Very nice. I, I like Bruges, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I hope your mic picked that up. It did. <laughs> <laughs> that should be a sound bite. No, but I, I do have a soft spot for this game. It's... First, when I look at my... I'm telling Clint about how I kind of figure out what games I like the most. I look at my games and I'm like, which games do I, would I never want to get rid of? And that is one of them. And I, I cannot put my finger on it. I think it's a really great worker placement game. That doesn't I mean it has some some interesting tension, but it's not like constant the stress of Agricola, which Agricola is a fantastic game. But I, I like it. I mean there are some it's it's a pretty tight board if you're not playing with the board extension with the expansion. Mm-hmm. I think it's pretty tight. There are a couple times where we're like, oh gosh, well I if you're playing placing last, you kinda get scraps. I feel like you do, mm-hmm. but if you if you're placing last, it's like you chose to be last. If you don't want to be last, you can pay the money. I mean, there's luck of the draw, and again, who the first player they get one mulligan. They they pull one out, and like oh, that's mine. I don't want to pay seven. Throw it back in the bag. Mm-hmm. Clint, you're paying seven. Yeah, <laughs> I did that a couple of times. I think. Yeah, so I I really do like this game. I sadly this game is not going to get a reprint. It's just not. It's not. I think it's because of the license. I think so, too. Uh, I, I kind of told this to you. I think the game came out in 2007. That's nine years ago. This game has aged incredibly well. I, I was I was surprised. The game looked beautiful. It had stuff that made you look at it and like, wow, it drew you to the table. The mechanisms were tight and it was strong. Also, the only thing that I that I kind of said is that the, the newer games of the last four or five years are a little bit more streamlined. There were times where almost Sean had to like slap my hand because I was like, you're like, it's not that time yet. And I'm like, but I want it now. Right. So that is one thing. Whenever you put your master builders down on the space, you just want to instantly take the thing that you said you're going to go for. Like, well, I'm going to buy this comment, get this card here. Oh, nope. You don't get that card yet. Or I'm going to go here to the tax collector. So, or not the class you're, you're exempt from paying taxes and you get a piece of metal. If you do that, Oh, nope. You can't have that metal yet. And I think there's a reason that they make you hold off because you have to resolve them in a specific order, or it could throw off your, you know, the balance of how you can pull off certain moves in the game. Mm -hmm. But I'm with you. I understand that, having that delay in being able to resolve your turn kind of makes you feel like it's taking you too taking too long perhaps yeah it, it it just felt like it it artificially slowed the game down what I'm gonna forget is uh Jamie Stegmeyer mm-hmm. wrote an interesting blog about that and that he no longer wants games that have set phases or set like say set phase actions because I think it kind of breaks up the the immersion into the game, the fl- the the flow of the game, and I and I could I think that this is a good example of that. 
not a terrible game by any stretch. I thought it was incredibly great in, in that like the mech, like the game was a tight, good worker placement game. The only, like I said, the only thing that that takes a little of the shine off it was just like I said, it just it just didn't flow as as well that I felt like it kind of slowed down in parts. I'm going to go out on the limb here and say that I think that if you were able to play it again, I think now that you both have had an opportunity to play the game, I think it would go smoother. I I, I would agree. So, I, I like this game a lot. Jonathan, not so much. He liked the art's beautiful. I know. I, I think know. it's a it's a pretty solid, decent game. That's pretty good. S- solid, decent. I'll 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 take it. I'll anything take it. better? Anything's better than fun. Fine. <laughs> Uh, fine, maybe a little. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here's a quick fire. All right, I want you to tell me what is a piece of news that you are excited about. Okay, and I'm gonna go first. I am super pumped that Ryan Lockett has a new game in the works called Near and Far, which oh. looks like it's gonna be kind of that spiritual sequel. Is he calling it a full sequel? He says it's a sequel. I think. Okay. Well, fine. It's sequel to to Above and Below. I will take it sold get your kickstarter out there i'm buying it <laughs> that's my thing I, it does it looks amazing yes it looks amazing it and looks I, like it's going to take that the narrative aspects and it kind of continues the story across games and it's going to have hopefully some gameplay to back it up as well i think i think above and below is has some good uh gameplay in it mm-hmm. i just wish that the the narrative part was more cohesive. Yes, yes. I, I really love what I was trying to do. I really admire it quite a bit, but I'm super pumped for Near and Far. Very much. Clint, what are you looking forward to, or what's some gaming news that has, that's been on your radar? Silly little thing. I don't know why. Uh, after after we had our, our guest. Yeah, 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 Angie. Yeah, yeah, Angie came on, and she sold me on Storm Hollow. I just was so excited about that. That was... It was a unique game that I just I had to go, so I had to. I bailed my wife out on uh, on Valentine's Day. She was like, "Oh, Clint, I forgot to get you a Valentine's gift," and I said, "Don't worry, you did. you already got me something." And wow. uh, and that's, so that's the expensive I, Valentine's gift. She did. She saw the credit card and she was cool. just like, "Clint, what was this?" I'm like, "It's my Valentine's thing," and it worked. She was good to me, so I got to back. Uh, Storm Hollow, mm-hmm. and I have just every so often I just check in on it just because it the game just looks really really neat, uh, really cool. And I just by checking, I, I I saw that uh, pre-orders are closed they for are. that. They closed in March, yeah. Uh, and uh, so I had missed it for a little. I mean, this is a little behind, but that gives me even more hope that it is coming. It is. They are definitely making progress. I think they're finishing up some of the editing. I'm ready for it. And you are definitely ready for it. Uh, I, I'm i just really excited about this. Yep. Angie was great, and uh, I'm really excited to play the game. Yep, absolutely. And I will just note that, that the the card game that, that she talked about, Riftwalker, actually um, Miracle Save at the last minute on Kickstarter, and it actually went through. Oh, it wow. It was looking pretty dire there, but I'm, I, it looks like it could be a fun uh, it's a very different experience, but I think it's I'm, I'm excited for that one as well. Great. Yeah, I'm excited. Jonathan. All the best, Angie. Okay, I'm going to hit you with two quick ones. Number one, there is a uh, expansion to Rococo coming out this summer, um, the jewelry box expansion, which looks really cool. I mean, the number one thing I'm excited about it is it adds more employees that you can hire, which looks really cool. 
mm-hmm. expand that out, but also adds this jewelry aspect where you can have different jewelry and different materials. And you can also uh, work your apprentices through where they can uh, kind of move up the ranks. There's kind of some, some way to kind of, uh, I guess, level up your apprentices and, and your journeymen maybe. So looks really nifty. The other thing I want to throw in kind of ties in with your near and far idea is uh, uh, Jamie Stegmeyer's Charterstone, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which looks kind of interesting. I don't know much about it at all. Something I want to look at, you guys should look at. But this idea of, you know, starting a village and seeing it kind of grow over time, it seems kind of legacy-ish type game. Yeah. And just to kind of piggyback off of that, we're in my game group. We've been playing here at work with our Pandemic Legacy. We're we're in, we're getting ready to start the very last month of that game. And I'm as I were getting near, I'm realizing that when we finish this, there's there's no more pandemic legacy. There's no, mm-hmm. I can't reset. Mm-hmm. There's no lasting game that's going to be there. Um, I think that if you follow the rules and you do everything it tells you to do, you shouldn't have a game that you can go back to and play again. Um, if you really embrace the whole idea of tearing up cards and stuff like that. So I'm a little sad by that. I was going to say, board game therapist, Sean, how does that make you feel? I think part of, part of the thing, like with with Risk Legacy, as I was, like, was always telling myself, well, even if I'm done with this, I'll have uh, I can still play the game. <laughs> and here it is, how many years later, and I still haven't played my third game of that. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's something different between you know that and Charterstone. I mean, Jamie Stegmeier said that you're going to add things to the board, but there's no destructive element, so you are going to be able to play with the game when you're done, and it's 24 games minimum, so... It looks interesting. Okay. You keep adding new spaces, new things that you can do on the board. Great. So even though when we're done with this legacy, it'll just, I don't know what I'm going to do with it. I mean, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with the game. Scrap oh, we, it for parts. We've had a wonderful time playing it. Fantastic experience. And we were, my coworkers are like, hope at the end they're going to say 20% off season two. <laughs> yeah, it could happen. <laughs> Throw a coupon in at the end. I don't think it's going to happen, but no, they're on board for season two whenever that eventually hits. So let's move on to our main topic of the night. We're going to delve into what our favorite mechanisms are in board games. So I think we have some similar tastes. Clint and I are kind of aligned sometimes. You and you and Jonathan kind of connect on certain levels too. No, no, Jonathan's just yeah, the untouchable. I, I'm just I'm just lukewarm on LCGs. <laughs> That's your problem. Well, honest, honestly, I'm kind of lukewarm on LCGs as well. Because I got out of uh, Netrunner. I'm like, I, I had the base set, and I'm like, I, I, I cannot do this. Yeah. But the cooperative element of Lord of the Rings, Jonathan's just the vortex. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> yeah. the cooperative junkie element. <laughs> hey, I, my favorite thing is to get on like my met, my my facebook message and see these two literally speaking almost speaking elvish oh have you heard of this glorfindel card it's amazing i'm gonna make a glorfindel deck and i'm just like what is going on you're missing out clint i no, i'm serious they these guys have white around their mouths oh come on guys clint just just build your basic deck. I've got Fly to the Stormcaller at the game store right now, waiting for it to be picked up. Oh my gosh. Ships. They have added ships. Come on, man. Sailing. You love ships, don't you? 
Like pirates. Like pirates. <laughs> Junky. I think ninjas are coming out soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was totally in. I'm in on ninjas. <laughs> yeah, Tolkien definitely had ninjas. <laughs> Tolkien was a ninja. Ninja ints? That would be pretty cool. Okay, anyways. Favorite game mechanisms. So I thought we can just kind of go around and tell us what what are some of your favorite game mechanisms and what are some of the games that really epitomize that mechanism for you and why you like it so much. And we can kind of bounce back and forth and kind of jump off of each other each other's ideas here. So Jonathan, what is one of your favorite game mechanisms? One of my favorite game me- mechanisms is hand management, specifically with variable player powers. That just kind of spices it up a little bit. But I really find that anything that's got cards in it, if you can give me a hand of cards and you can say, Jonathan, you know, parse your way through this, figure out what you want to do, it simplifies things for me. And I, when I look at a wide open board with worker with uh, worker placement frequently, Sometimes over overwhelmed, don't have a strategy, don't know what I'm doing, don't know where I'm going. But a lot of times if you give me six, seven cards and you say, look through these, look for some kind of synergy, boom, I can do that. Okay? Works for me. And I just, I mean, it goes back to my, you know, classic playing. It goes back to my playing uh, Magic the Gathering and things like that. You know, I love combos. Yeah, card combos is yep. what I think when I think uh, Jonathan. Yep. You know, I was looking for the card that's, combos. That's right there in my wheelhouse, so... I mean, that's that's what I like. And now it can play out in different ways. It can be an, kind of an economic thing like uh, Imperial Settlers where you're building up your civilization. A little bit of drafting involved there too. I like, I like sprinkling a little bit of drafting. That's what, probably why I like deck builders because you're, you're looking at cards. You're deciding what you're going to do with your cards. You're making decisions. Uh, something like Summoner Wars. It's on a board this time. There's some different things. There's some strategies. There's some moving around. There's some dice that throws in some randomness. But I still like the cards and being able to look at my cards and and make some decisions based on that. Um, I mean, deck building in Lord of the Rings. I love to build a deck and see how it plays out. I mean, Sean mocks me all the time because I will just grab a deck and I will just flip through it and just see. Did you see this? See what that could have happened. Wow. I could what totally request kind of much my first turn. Yeah. Wow. I try to I try to play out some, you know, amazing imaginary first turn. The the, the Rings, the card database, ringsdb.com. Oh uh-huh. God, this is embarrassing. There is a a simulation you can build a deck and then you can simulate a draw. Like show me what my first six cards would be. Sean. And he just does it. Sean. Like we're winning the game and Sean. you're like, "Look at that." It's terrible. I found a deck that somebody made on there, and I, <laughs> I, I have literally drawn, test drawn that deck so many times. Really? Oh my god! I it's mean, a game by itself. It really oh. has been a, a game. And decide, oh, would I keep this hand, or would I, would I go for a mulligan? Oh, I got a problem. Yeah, that is pretty creepy. <laughs> I have to admit. Well, here's the thing. What are some of the games that you feel like really epitomize the hand management aspects? Something like Imperial Settlers. Um, I mean, Lord of the Rings, to a certain extent. Like I said, Summoner Wars, I like looking at a hand, deciding how I'm going to do it. Even something like Sentinels of the Multiverse. You know, looking at my cards, deciding, you know, am I going to use this card for that? Am I going to use that? And that's probably a good reason why I like all those games where you have to use a card, where you can use a card for various things. Because it's that decision of, you know, what do I do with this card? Do I use this to, for this reason? Do I use it for that? That's what I really like. But here's that's, that's the funny thing, is that you have that in Bruges. You can use a card for multiple things. But I think part of the problem is that trying to find the synergy in there, that's what overwhelms me with that game. 
And there's a certain amount of luck with any card game. Yeah. yeah. But I do really enjoy games that have that, well, we have this card. Well, you can use it for three different things. What are you going to use it for? Do you want to use it for the power? Do you want to use it for income? Do you want to use it for influence? There's a lot of really neat things that can be done with that. I'm a huge fan of that. And I, I had to do a plug for one of my games that you guys don't typically love, but I love Glory to Rome. Glory to Rome is, I think, the is a great is I think the granddaddy of the cards with multiple uses. Mm-hmm. Um, you draw that card and it could be used for four different things. Yeah, but I, I I guess maybe it comes down to theme. I I want an interesting theme that helps me to understand why I'm using these cards for different reasons. I don't know. There's a vomitorium. Maybe what just... theme is better than building a vomitorium? <laughs> maybe it's just that art. That's, you need a vomitorium for the art. The art Boom. is is an it, acquired taste. It's not the black box, guys. No, 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 not at all. It's it's a it's an awesome game. Uh, go go, Glory to Rome. Clip art illustrations. Hail Caesar. That's what it is. Hail Caesar. What was that? Clip art illustrations. Hey, Hail Caesar. <laughs> so, what is what are your opinions on? hand management sort of games and variable powers. We didn't really talk about that. Variable powers, powers. Do you care for that much? Uh, I, I like variable player powers. I find that I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. I, I don't like it. I don't like uh, cosmic encounter. Cosmic encounters on the one spectrum. And then there's the typical Euro where you're all the same. I like to be different, but I like to have like one thing different. Just give yeah. me like one card different from everybody. Yeah, I'd be fine, um, and I find that a lot of these games, like uh, like Blood Rage and those type of things, they do a good job of of making you feel like you kind of build what you're what you're going to be during the game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like a little start that kind of points me in the right direction. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that I mean, I think that variable powers can really breathe some new life into games. For example, with uh, King of Tokyo. Everyone thought that the individual monsters would have variable powers, and they don't in the base game. But the power-up expansion really makes it pretty interesting. It really breathes some life in it. You don't like you don't like it. You don't even have it. I've only played it once. It's it's good. I I like feeling unique. Yeah, I think that really breathes some new life into that game. So even if it, sometimes in an expansion, I don't know how you feel about expansions that add variable player powers after the fact, but I tend to go with them. I like them. Uh, I think if you're trying to add more spice to a game, that's a great way of starting it out. Yeah. Um, but might increase the complexity too much for beginners. So, Clint, what's a game mechanism that you like? Oh. I'm going to go for the easy one. My favorite mechanism. Uh, Roll and move? Oh, <laughs> oh gosh. My Qdoba. Uh, <laughs> Vomitorium. Uh, yeah, the vomitorium. Uh, honestly, uh, my favorite mechanism is is worker placement. Um, my my brain uh, was constructed to do uh, worker placement. Uh, I love worker placement. There's something about it that just uh, sings. I have a certain amount of actions. I have a certain amount of actions. I have these little guys, and they can go on the board, and there are a limited amount of spaces on that board. And there are certain places that are better than others. And th- the thing that comes to me is that tension. There is always a tension 
you've always everybody's had it in a worker placement game where you are afraid to look at the spot that you want just in case the one person in front of you is going to take that spot and you know how many times have you ever like placed a piece and the next person's like oh crap you ruined my game no i i feel like nowhere else you get that other than just a, a great worker placement game and so I, I i love worker placement i think and i think that it there there are certain things it it is this it can be the star of the show and there can be other things hooked onto it i think it's a strong enough mechanism to be like the star um variable player powers that's a good like attachment but like it, I, I feel like uh, worker placement is strong enough to stand on its own. Yeah. So, what are some of the hallmark worker placement games in your book? Uh, some of my favorites are uh, have Age of Empires. Um, I love Age of Empires, and I think it has that type of thing. You you have a little bit of that. Uh, you know, you have pieces that do different things. You know, the missionary is really good in the new world. You know. The soldier is real, you know. The explorer is really good for exploring. Uh, there are different, there are different actions that, that do really well. I also think uh, I love Dominant Species. It is a rock solid worker placement game. And if you really want to get into worker placement games, you need to look no further than uh, than Stone Age or uh, Lords of Waterdeep. You're kind of being this guy, your entry level getting exposed to worker placement games. Yes, exactly. Right. And I, I just think, I think that when somebody plays a worker placement game for the first time and there's just, there's just a, a spot where they're like, oh my gosh, I can stick that there and I can get this. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just, it's just my favorite. I don't know. And I hate it because I have a lot of worker placements and it's the same thing in a lot of ways, but people have just done it in so many different themes and ways I, I'll, I'll never stop buying worker placement games. Yeah. I think that really for me with the worker placements, I love worker placements a lot. I have a lot of worker placement games as well. But obviously Agricola, and then if you want a not quite as tense game, Caverna. Oh, I yeah. love Caverna. And I will, I mean, we talked about Ryan Lockett with Near and Far and Above and Below, but also another game that I feel like doesn't get as much attention and it deserves it is The Ancient World. That spices up the worker placement and adds some interesting things. I, that's that's one of those other games I was talking about. Like it's up there. It's I think it's actually higher up on my list than I realize because I look at that game like, oh, I, I want to play that game again. Yeah, I like that one when we played it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I I want to say that is that it's very interesting that people can make a ton of different worker placement games, and they all they just do a little tiny twist to it, and it feels like it's new. And I just own a lot and I just can't because I'm just like, oh, it does this new. Oh, I got to get it, you know. And uh, so I will always love those. So what do you feel like are the core features of a worker placement game? Because, I mean, often when I, when I think about a worker placement game, I always think about I'm going to go here and then no one else can go here. Yeah. But there's not that's not always the case, though. Typically, typically there are your choices are visually set out on a board of what you can do and there are limited spots available for those for those areas and you might have three actions on a turn or whatever you have three guys and in your three turns you're going to do you're going to send that person out to get a certain 
good or a cert, do a certain action. And I think the reason why I love worker placements is because the game almost with one person putting down a piece, the entire board changes, you know, like values change on one person playing a piece. So it doesn't feel so deterministic. Someone cuts you off here, then, you know, you need to have a plan B or a plan C. Uh, And I think that that tension of those limited areas for, you know, your limited actions of your people, it, it just sings to me. Absolutely. I, I, again, I haven't gotten, t- I think I got to one point where I was getting a little tired of worker placement because I think after Agricola, that we just became inundated with worker placement games. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the people have been able to reinvigorate it, find unique ways of kind of putting a little twists on it that keep me interested. So I keep going back to that one. But I, I think even though you, you took that as your favorite, it ranks up there pretty highly for me as well. Yeah, I was a big fave. Yeah. So for me, I, I for some reason, I don't know what it is, but I really like area control games which whenever you think of area control what do you think of clint i think of risk you are looking to control the spot it is you you are the king of the hill i usually think more of el grande ginkopolis those type games right and i think that's the that's the distinction that clint you kind of made when we were kind of brainstorming about what type of mechanisms we like the most. And I put area control down as mine. And then you said, oh, well, I'm going to talk about area majority. And I'm like, what's the difference? Mm-hmm. But I, but you make a compelling argument. Because if we look at how Board Game Geek kind of organizes and they have, you can browse by mechanics within a game on their website. Mm-hmm. And they don't differentiate between area control and area majority. But I think you make a compelling case. So how would you differentiate... Area control versus area majority. Perfect. I, I, I think in my in my idea that area control is the risk. It is the zero sum. Somebody has to be the king of the mountain in in a certain you know, in a certain area. Uh, it's you're you're controlling that area. When I think area majority, I'm thinking, hey, you have three cubes, I have two cubes, and Jonathan has one cube. So you have the majority. I have the second majority. So you're going to get five victory points. I'm going to get three victory points. And Jonathan's going to get one victory point. And, and I really like area majority, again, because it brings in that tension. I mean, it is awesome to have like a stack of cubes and you're trying to break into, you know, you're trying to break into Africa um, on risk and you're just chucking like tons and tons of dice and I that's cool for some people I really love the you know hey we're in here I'm going to try to maneuver so I can just get ahead of you so I can jump I can get a better payout than you mm-hmm. um, and so there's a little bit like I said there's a little bit of that intermingling I think that uh, El Grande was one of the granddaddies of starting to kind of get into that idea of area majority of, you know, you want to be, you want to be first, but if you can get second in a bunch of spots, it's almost just as good as being in first. And, uh, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I think that that's a big, it's a big deal. I'm not a huge fan of area control though. So that's so kind of a, if we're going to summarize here, area control is pretty much one person has complete control of this location. Yes. It's all or nothing. It's my spot. 
Right. And then an area majority would be more of the, we're all competing for ultimate, you know, majority in this area, but we all might get fewer points if I'm not in the top, but we can all be in that same space as, as opposed to all or nothing. Uh, agreed. Yeah. So small world fits in with? Uh, small world would be an area, an area control. Okay. Do you, do you like small world? I, I do like small world. I do like small world. I think that, but one of the only reasons why I like small world is because it's so quick. It's just quick and dirty. It's just boom. I, I, it's deterministic. It's like, I have more than this. Boom. I can take that. Yeah. I think that if I were to make the differentiation, I, I think I like both. Um, I don't, I mean, risk is not my favorite game. I like the idea of playing risk legacy because of the new twists it does. But I think most of the games I tend to enjoy Discworld is Ankh Morpork is just it's chaos chaos but if you've read the books that's what you should expect and I I really like that this the swingy crazy young un- unpredictable but that's kind of area majority yeah um, mm-hmm. so you're influencing that uh you've again you said El Grande love that game Ginkopolis that's a great area majority game mm-hmm. but but Bioshock that is another area control game it's it's kind of like the dudes on the map Mm-hmm. It's all or nothing, but I really like that for some reason. And I, I think that it there is a cool edge to it. Uh, I just find that less fights break out over area majority. If I screwed you out of, you know, if I get five victory points and you get three victory points, you know, it's you're like, oh, that stinks. Mm-hmm. But it's two victory points. If I get five victory points and you get zero victory points, yeah. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing worse, you know, there's nothing worse. Or when somebody ties you in something and you both get nothing or whatever, you're like, oh, I hate you. (laughs) Yeah. Most of the examples I can think of where it's all or nothing tend to be more combat driven games that I can think of. Can you think of any other times where it would be all or nothing that's not fighting? Typically it's a dudes on a map. I mean, Comet is another great game in that it's like, I'm, I want this spot. I'm kicking you out of this spot. We don't yeah. hang out. If I walk into your spot, we duke it out. Yeah. And uh, I like that. I love Comet. Uh, but again, I think if it has to do it, it has to be quick. If yeah. it's over 90 minutes, it just f- feelings. But and there's a lot of stuff I like about Power Grid. I love the auctions. I love the resources and all that. But that's also area control. But that game actually opens it up. It's not so much majority, but you're still trying to get control of certain areas but eventually it does open up that, okay, well, I'm the only one that can have supply this city, but now we move to phase two. Now two people can be in this city. So there are some variations on this area control, area influence, area majority, whatever you want to call it. But I think that that does create a lot of tension as well. It's a different, yeah, it's a different type of tension though. I've seen a lot of bloodbath and risk, but I have seen some serious bloodbath when we when you change over from phase one to phase two in Power Grid, <laughs> I have seen some Game of Thrones esque like just I'm holding a hundred bucks and I'm waiting. I'm just sitting back so you can switch it over and I will crush you. I've done that before. <laughs> yes, and I that was that's one thing. I, that's a knock I have on. Uh, power grid i try not to do that anymore because i just don't think it doesn't make it fun anymore it does i mean like you can literally like boom 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 you can like surround somebody and there's like literally it's like kicking them in the it's fantastic when you're the one 
you know, doing it, pulling the strings. But when someone pulls it on, you're like, oh god, this sucks. I'm never doing this again. This is awful. And seriously, and the one person that's try that's going to switch it over, they look and they see that you have a a wad of cash, and you're just hanging back for them to do it. And it's just like at that point, it's just like. So it's like I'm asking you to punch me in the face. Please hit me, you know. And and that's where that's where, like I said, I'm a lover, not a fighter. <laughs> well, there's also the situation where you could be the one that has all the control. You have tons of money. You have the advantage. You're powering more. They have a limited number of spaces. I mean, if you really are outnumbering them, you're powering a whole lot more. I mean, with power grid, you get diminishing returns the more cities that you power. Mm-hmm. But if you're the one that controls when you go to phase two. That can be even worse because the other person's sitting there and like, I have no control over when they make me go to phase two. Yeah. So this person's going to sit there and rack up the money. So that's power grid can be vicious sometimes if people let you, if you're not too careful, people can really lock you in. Yes. Not all euros are, are friendly. No. But I like power grid a lot. I, lo- I love power grid too. All right. Oh, come on, Jonathan. You love power grid. You do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind of curious. I mean, another game that you type of game that you really tend to enjoy with in terms of mechanisms would be exploration games. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Now, here's the thing. Worker placement can be the hub, can be the, the main star. I feel like exploration, it needs to be a part. It needs to hook on to something. I think exploration is like the special sauce. It's the salt that can really spice it, like can really spice a game, can make a game perfect. I again, I'm going to go back to uh, some of the great games with that uh, Age of Empires three. It's not perfect, but if I'm going into Canada and I'm like, "Come on, baby, I'm going to get that fur if I can do it," but you know, it's like, "Come on, I need to get in here. I hope that I don't get a lot of resistance, you know, and I'm hoping I'm getting those victory points." And it's just a little part of it, but it totally adds. It adds something. It's just there's something so cool about I don't know what's behind this card. And I've planned and I'm hoping I'm gambling that I'm just saying that this is going to be the right thing. And uh, I typically don't like surprises in games a lot of time. But I think that the surprises are the are the spice that kind of puts a game over the top. Yeah. The other one, of course, I think this is the reason that you'll see this. It's going to come around in a circle. And I'm sorry. I'm going to have to pay my uh pay in my robinson crusoe jar but robinson crusoe marries um those two mechanisms perfectly um it is it is a new game every game even though you've seen the cards before they come out at different times um you have different things and you're always exploring that island you never know what you're going to get um things can happen and it's got it's got the worker placement oh that game is just amazing so even though it's a terrible world book so (laughs) play with a friend that knows yeah. Um, and then still read the rule book. And, but I think that that's re- why I keep coming to it. Some of my top 10 favorite games, I would say three or four of them have that magical m- mix of worker placement and exploration. Yeah. You know, I was looking at cool stuff and they have, they have these different sales and whatnot. And I'm going to go back to this Bioshock game. And I know this game does not get love at all. It was on sale for $20. Wow. $20. And I look on there, at the end of the sale, they still had over 20 copies. No one's buying it. That's crazy. I mean, it's it's a two-player game. Mm-hmm. Flat out, two-player game. But it's area control. You've got hand management. 
you got variable powers because your decks have different powers. So it really integrates a ton of stuff, but there's no love for this game. Didn't Isaac Vega design the game? Yes, it was one of his, I think one of his first designs, at least that was when when we, when people found out that, that um, Irrational Games had pegged Plat Hat to design it, people were like really excited about this. And they're like, Isaac Vega, I haven't heard of him. Yeah, but he's good. Yeah. But you've you've played Bioshock. You haven't. I haven't. Mm-mm. You didn't care for it too much. We well, we played the four player version. We did, which made it go way too long. Yeah, it was a little too long. I I wouldn't mind playing it in, in the two player form, but I've kind of grown out of I don't know the the kind of combat games like that. Mm-hmm. I've I've just kind of really they've soured on me. I mean, I yeah. used to love those are the games I played all the time, and for mm-hmm. some reason. It's hard for me to get up the emotional interest. Yeah, I to mean, do those battles. There's combat, but I, I don't know. I feel like there's so much because you're moving around the using those rails to move around. You're kind of pushing your luck. Are you gonna? How many people are gonna go? Are you gonna have to just throw away cards to be able to get get through? And if you don't have enough cards, well, your people just die. So there's a lot of push your. There's so many mechanisms that are in this game, and I think it blends it in. It's not the best game ever, Mm-mm. but I, I, I like the thing where you can upgrade your. Your people and yes. get different abilities. That's pretty cool. There a is cool a lot of neat things. So if you can find Bioshock on the cheap, it's worth exploring. I definitely think if you can find it for $20, it's worth picking up. Welcome to Sean's Deep Cuts. I'm sorry. I, oh, was, actually, I was actually looking at that. And I'm like, $20. I don't need to buy another copy. I don't need to buy a copy to give away on the podcast. But I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, hey. It's it's a it's a good game and if you can get it for that price, I don't see any reason. If you just unless you just hate that, but I think there's something in there for everyone. Yeah. Well, not everyone, but one of the things I also like about it, I'll get off my soapbox, that you're not just you're it's not just I'm going to wipe you off the map. It's you're trying to ac- accomplish different objectives. And so you're trying to be the first person to get your 10 points put on these you have these 10 victory points and you have to assign your complete these different missions and objectives to actually finish so it's not like i'm just gonna we're just gonna fight and take everyone out you have to try to fight for majority but it's not all about just beating everyone up fantastic anyway i'll stop talking about it (laughs) are there any other game mechanisms that you really like jonathan because you talked about a little bit you kind of combined yours all in one you talked about your hand management and variable powers yeah hand management was was the main thing um variable powers kind of like clint said i think that's definitely a spice that you add on um, some games take it too far but I do I do like variable powers I mean you think about something like Summoner Wars where you have a deck your elves play quite a bit differently than your goblins oh yeah I mean there's a totally different strategy you've got to do different things I also like I said I like drafting um, is something that I've I just enjoy it's just once again you have a set of cards to pick out of your choices are limited you know I, I tend to, I guess, maybe lean a little bit more towards the tactical side than the long-term strategic side, although I do enjoy both. But Did you ever do booster drafts in Magic? Yes. Did you like that? I did, and that wasn't something I did as much, um, but it's something that I enjoyed doing. I mean, I would still... I've been tempted to just buy a bunch of cheap cars and just build a, a deck, you know, just a big a box and just do drafts out of that box just for the fun of it. I think that would be fun. I, I've thought about that, that too. A out pop, of all my popper cube or whatever. Out of all the formats, I I love I love a draft, because hey, 
you don't need to pay a thousand dollars for a deck of cards. You know, you just open up a pack and you do the best with what you got. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, in this case, you you specifically buy cards that you know give each of the five colors of magic. You know, some decent cards, and then you just build fake packs, mm-hmm. and then you draft out of them, and then you play. And then you you know play a certain number of rounds, play a little mini tournament with your friends or whatever you know. It right. it's, it sounds like a fun way to kind of get the enjoyment of Magic for a reasonable price, you know. Spend, Put up the cash grab. You, yeah. you spend fifty or sixty bucks on cards, yeah. and then enjoy them. Yeah, like a, it's like a board game basically. Millennium mm-hmm. blades. Yeah, it's Millennium oh. blades. <laughs> uh, that's a topic for another podcast. I know. We'll get... I got another question for you. Okay. On my list of favorite game mechanisms. I have cooperative games. Do you consider cooperative games a mechanism? It's wow. a way of life, man. Wow. And BGG does. They do. They have they have cooperative play as a game mechanism. Do you agree or disagree? Wow. That's hard for me. I think I think it I kind of want to say it isn't. I want to say it's uh that we've just always played competitive games. I think kind of the whole goal is to do is competitive. So, I mean, is competition a game mechanism? Not on the website. Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that cooperation is the antithesis. Okay. So you don't think cooperative is a mechanism? I I don't. I think that, I think that when we were talking about it, just just in the overarching thing was that I think, uh, unless you think competition is a mechanism, I think, uh, cooperative is just a style is a style of game is a but genre I, I well you can make an argument that genre what is that i i think you could make the argument that you know area control is a is a genre of board game worker placement is a genre of board game because i think if you go into a worker into a cooperative game it's going to play dramatically different from a competitive game. I think it's its own unique category. So I do think it's its, its own unique mechanism. We just don't conceptualize it that way. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, we're probably not. We're not going to reach a cons- consensus here. You, you've dumbfounded Clint. This is an amazing moment. <laughs> He's speechless. I I would I would I would try I would try to to tell people. I, I in my in my point of view, I would say cooperative game is is the overarching like goal of the game it's a goal it's not a means to an end if that makes a sense that makes sense hmm. i don't know so what are your thoughts yeah i'm split down the middle on this one i mean i can see both sides i i mean de- there's definitely something fundamentally different about a cooperative game than a competitive game but then again would you classify competition as but I don't think I don't think it's I think that creating that dichotomy is misguided. I think that there's also competition in a cooperative game, though, because you're competing against some sort of a system. You are together. I mean, you're you're usually competing against some sort of AI that the right game's running at you. I think it makes an important distinction that without the cooperative modifier, I mean, it it would be a completely different game. Just like if you said, you know. You could have a cooperative. Has anybody made a cooperative worker placement? Not yet. Cha-ching! Cha-ching! Sean, I know what you're doing this summer. 
I don't know. I'm going to take the argument that cooperative is its own unique mechanism that changes the way that you play the game. Just like how worker placement changes the way that you play the game. Hand management makes makes you play, has you play the game differently. I think it has a different effect. It's a mechanism in which you play the game. Most games that aren't cooperative are going to be competitive. So, you know. Is solitaire a mechanism? Solo Ooh. games? That's pl- that's player count. That comes down to... Well, no, the, oh, the game saying, changes. So you're talking about like solo games or just the game solitaire? Solitaire. No, like a solo game, like a one-player game. Is that a type of game or is that a... I think a, I think that it could be like, for example, um, Friday, for example. That's a game designed for only one person. Uh-huh. And cooperative games are only designed for everyone to play against the board you can't play it you can't play it otherwise so but here's the thing a solo game wouldn't i mean you're competing when in friday you're competing against the game right yes you are so it's almost like a cooperative game i would i would say that cooperatives and solo games are are closer cousins than cooperative and competitive games no i no i agree with that absolutely i agree with that completely but I'm just saying that there are there are certain competitive games that perhaps like it's solo in the sense that you're trying to beat a score. You know what I mean? Like it's for example, I, I'm trying to think of it. Is there a solo variant in Roll for the Galaxy? Uh, not an official one. I have played a fan made one. Yeah. Okay. He's just messing Sorry. with me. Then all the solo things that he <laughs> tries out. I don't know if they're official or I, not. I have tried this one. So okay. On BG, and it was all right. It well, was fine. I, I I believe it to to the viewers. Then I, I'm really curious. Do you think that cooperative games are qualify as a game mechanism? And if not, what what is it? I'm I'm in the camp that cooperative games are a unique game mechanism. Clint is not. Jonathan's in the middle. I, I will go with it. Which whoever whoever you guys convince me the best. However many people we have, I'm I'm more than happy to go with the majority <laughs> on this one. We we have cookies. <laughs> Excellent. So um, I think it's time to move on to the punch list. But before we do that, what's your least favorite game mechanism? Roll and move. No doubt. Even though Zaya has roll and move. Uh, I would have to try. I still have yet to try that. Uh, I'm hoping that they have learned from years and years of failure uh, I think Zaya takes it the opposite direction, though, is that you can go in a million different places. One of my least favorite games, Talisman. You can go, you can roll die, and you can go in two different directions. So perhaps it's not the mechanism you have a problem with, but the limitations that the game put around that mechanism. Yes. Okay. The loss of control. I want to feel like I'm playing the game, and that the game is not playing me. And that and roll and move is. I think the, the the biggest culprit of that. All right. Fair enough. Jonathan's crying over here. <laughs> I don't enjoy memory games. Interesting. I, 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 don't, I don't know what it is, but just don't like having to memorize where things are. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. I, I don't, we don't, we don't have a lot of memory games. 
No. You notice that? And you know what the funny thing is? Is that if you treat a game like a memory game, you're one of those guys. You know? <laughs> you're the ones like in Tigers and Euphrates, and they're like, they're doing the math in their head, and they're like, okay, well, I, you know, I know you have this, this, or this. And I, I, yeah, I, I kind of like, I like memory games, but uh, I grew up, it was one of my favorite things playing memory with my dad. Yeah. But that's not my favorite. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I could I see just... how I could rub people the wrong way. Yeah. You don't have one, Jonathan. Which is all right. I'm not crazy about roller movie either. I, I would you... say Jonathan has doesn't have any anything that he particularly loves, but he doesn't have anything he particularly hates. He is you neutral. Don't, you He's don't, fine. You don't like auctions. I was just about to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Auctions is not my favorite thing. His favorite game that he's played with auctions would be Vault Wars. I think. It is actually. Yeah. I, I would say do not close do not close your mind to that because you don't know what maybe, you like. Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe my uh, take your own advice then. <laughs> maybe my uh, auction Rococo game is out there somewhere. It is. I've I've I, played a couple that were decent. I mean, what what's the one that we played with you? Is it Goa or Genoa? Goa. Okay, mm-hmm. Goa wasn't too bad. Um, I've played uh, Medici. It was fine. It was fine. I actually didn't. Nah, I can't. I gotta take that back. I didn't really care for Medici. Goa is good because it's quick. Here's the thing: if you can make it quick and painless, I think you can almost deal with any mechanism. I like the the auction in Yido. Yeah, the yeah. auction in Yido is is nice because the thing is, is that if it kept bouncing around, like you bid, okay, I bid six, bid, 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 I bid seven, bid, bid, and it gets it just it it slows it down. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that you're right. It's just like one bid. One one bid and the first player gets to go again. But I do like what thing that Vault Wars does is that essentially whoever sets the beginning price they don't get to bid again, but everyone else can. Yeah. Which so is I like that. I like that. So I think we've talked enough about game mechanisms. It's time for the punch list. And this week, <laughs> and this week, Jonathan has the punch list. The punch list this week, guys, is pick a game that has one of your favorite uh, game mechanisms in it, but yet surprisingly fell flat for you. You, you, uh, On the surface, this game should be right in your wheelhouse, but somehow it's just not quite there. Good question. You go first. Okay, for me, (laughs) the game that uh, uses some hand management... Um, uses some things like this that that I enjoy would be Race for the Galaxy. I think it's a good game. I've got friends who love it. I love playing it with those friends because they love the game. I can do okay at this game, but once again, it's one of those games where you know you can you can look at your hand. It should be perfect for me. You know, look at my opening hand. Look at my starting world. You know decide what I'm going to do, pick one of those cards to really focus on. But for some reason, I get lost in that. Um, I just don't do a good job of either, you know, digging through the deck and finding the cards that support whatever what I'm trying to work for, or I don't adjust quickly enough to, to what I should be doing. But for some reason, it just doesn't quite work for me, and that's why it's sitting on my trade pile right now, sadly. Sad day. I'm struggling. I am. I'm actually too. Um, oh, he's a victory pump. Yeah, <laughs> it's a victory pump. I, I told you. 
You'll have to make me do the punch list this week. <laughs> you did. You, you brought you brought your A game. That's actually a, it's a good question. It is. Uh, I have one for one I didn't talk about. It was on my list, but I didn't talk about it. I will allow it. All right. Go for it. I, well, said, I said one of your favorite. Okay. Okay. I I, I enjoy storytelling in my games. Mm-hmm. But I think I draw the line at games that try to create a narrative as opposed to games where you have to create the narrative as you play. So, I've already talked about my distaste, putting it lightly, of Story War. <laughs> I'm going to go and take it a different direction. The I thought I would really like Once Upon a Time did not work. Really? I think it has the structure... It does. It's a better game than Story War, hands down. But I, I don't know what I was expecting because you're creating your own story within there. I just, I just, I just doesn't work for me. So I really feel like storytelling. There's a lot of games that try to tell a story. I think I enjoy that more than games where you have to tell stories yourself. Like there was a game, for example, um, Ace Detective. Come look around my office. We've got Humphrey Bogart, Lauren Bacall over here. Scenes from different film noirs. And I'm like, oh yeah, this is going to be awesome. Then, no. (laughs) No one's going to want to make stories about film noirs. So I never ended up getting it. So I think just those type of games, it's kind of probably a little cheap here. But if I had to pick one, I would say once upon a time, I thought I would enjoy it. Just didn't deliver for me. But I think it's mainly because I enjoy less of the creation of ha- of forcing other people to make up stories. That's what I struggle with. Do you like making up stories? I don't know if I'm crazy about it. I mean, uh, we played that one game, the news game. We had to make up stories. Oh, we play uh, news at eleven. Yeah. We play tested that, that I, which was kind of fun. But it was. But you know, when you're making those stories, you're trying to make ridiculous, silly nonsensical stuff that's more party game type material um you know i think it's something like rory story cubes when i play those with my kids it's an entertaining activity it's kind of fun Mm -hmm. but there's no pressure um i don't know if i like a game that you're trying to build a story with but i like Rory story cubes i think it's fun but i mean i think it ends up being there is a game there but i think it ends up being used more as an activity yep I hate that whole argument of, oh, it's not a game, it's just an activity. It's all about how you define what a game is, and yeah. But I think that you could turn, use Roy Story Dice in different ways. Yeah. It doesn't have to necessarily be used for a game. Yeah. Um, but I did enjoy News at 11. Unfortunately, it's, I think it's already sold out and all that. It was a very small run. I don't think it would get played a ton, but I enjoyed it. I thought it was a fun, funny game. Yeah. But, so I, I do like some of those. But while I thought I was going to like Story of War, no. And Once Upon a Time just didn't, didn't deliver what I was hoping for. Clint's still struggling. Gosh, I'm having a hard time. Clint, Clint loves all the games. I, I really do. He loves I, all the things. It, <laughs> I'm a lover. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Uh, I, I'm kind of thinking about it deep down, and it, it's hard. I, I'm trying to think... Because I know that there have been some cooperative games. I love cooperative games. I have to say that that's one of the highest um, of... 
So you love the mechanism of cooperative games? That's what I just heard you say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Here's the thing, though, is that we've never talked about this. We've never talked about it in the way that you can't talk about it, that it wasn't a me- that it's not a mechanism. Right. But I don't think it is. Okay. All right. It's just like everybody says that a tomato is a vegetable. Okay. All right. That it's really a fruit. Whatever. I like fruit in my salads, too. Yeah. <laughs> Fine. Gotcha. It is just killing me. There hasn't been a game that's disappointed you where you felt this should be something that works for me. I, I, I guess the biggest one would be for me is Agricola. Uh, what? Yeah, I, 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 okay, I can tell you, I can look <sighs> you in the face and say, Agricola is an amazing game. If mm-hmm. you got out of Agricola right now and you said, Clint, do you want to play Agricola? I probably would say, sure, you don't have another game. Wow. I, I, I do not particularly, uh, yeah, I would, I would say, and that is like the granddaddy, uh, like it's one of like the granddaddy of worker placements. Did you have, okay. Did you have Agricola before you got Caverna? No, but I had played it three or four times. Okay. So you didn't enjoy it even the first couple times you played it? I, I enjoy it. I just, I just, my blood pressure, my blood pressure rises. Interesting. I didn't realize this about you. I I will tell you this right now. One of my fond, one of my number one memories, and and Ben Ben Hilliard uh, from uh, Daedalus Productions, he he'll get a good kick out of that. Is that I remember when we first played it. He Ben is a staunch defender of Agricola, and one of the reasons why he loves it is because his wife, who is the most passive just gentle person I've ever met. She's super nice. They brought out that game and we played just the four of us and I got stuck behind her in turn order and I just nearly had a mental breakdown. Like (laughs) his wife just dismantled all my strategies. You know, like when you feel like someone is like in your head, this lady sounds like an angel. Somebody is like in your head. She, she, and I mean, she totally wasn't doing it. She wasn't like picking this because I knew she knew it was gonna hurt me. She was just like, "Oh, I just like to take the sheep," and she just took all the sheep. And I like I was going to starve. And I think it's something about the starving and it just being so punishing. It 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 doesn't. It's not. It's definitely my favorite. I I think here's the thing: is I know it's a great game because I love Caverna. I love Caverna. Top ten. Um, it strikes everything, but for some reason, Agricola just is just, I don't know, doesn't do it for Fascinating. me. Fascinating. Now, here's the thing. I wonder, because she was so unpredictable, like, she probably, the, the, her, did she end up winning that game? No. And I ended up doing okay in the game. But it's probably, I think as we play games, we start being able to get in other people's heads, like, okay, I think they're going to take this spot. Yes. And do that. And she was just like, I'm just going to take the sheep. Oh, like, oh well, that that was not the best move for you, but it's brilliant because it stops me from getting it. And oh, I have like pens. I had like I just spent all my wood to make these wonderful fences. And I'm not kidding you. She just says, "Oh, I'll take the sheep." She took like three or four sheep, and she just ground them up in her <laughs> inefficient, oh. in her inefficient fireplace or whatever. Insulting and just, injury. <sighs> 
meat she, grinder. She made you watch. And she my eye just twitched, and I was just, I, I seriously I had to take a deep breath, and I don't know what it was. It was crazy. It was like she, she was doing it on purpose. I felt it was just, but she really wasn't. No. It's just that game brings out that demon in me. I'll play it by myself. I'll play it solo. Like I'll play it on the iPad and stuff. Uh-huh. But I can't play it with other people. Fair it enough. Just, it just kills me. So Fair yeah. Enough. I don't know why I I suppress those memories. Okay, so we learned something new about Clint. You want the sheep? <laughs> <laughs> you can't have them. So it was. It was, it was sheep burgers. Get your sheep burgers here. And if you know Ben, he was just. It was the time of his life. I just could, watching me. I bet he loved it. Just, I just, just, just drool coming out of my face. It's down my face. It was just. It was it was horrible. I, I want we had been on here. I want to hear some of these stories. He's gonna he's gonna just <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna put Clint through the grinder. <laughs> yeah, he's a great 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 friend. All right, so I think that brings the conclusion of this episode of the Punched and Played podcast. You can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter at Punched Played, and you can find us on our website at punchedandplayed.com. So until next time, remember, if you're going to punch them, make sure you play them. 